Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, filling in the gaps. Anxiety attack gone wrong. And peace by the river. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. So welcome back everybody. This is part two of this three-part conversation Finding Ben Kilmer. Uh, we appreciate you joining us once again. I would say that if somebody is just coming into this uh, and hasn't listened to part one, it's important that you do to really see the the context, the background, and um, what what happened leading up to Ben's disappearance, which is really what we start with today. Oh yeah, man, for sure. The the first episode was so good. Um, I just I'm in awe of, of Tanya's cur- courage to be able to revisit that traumatic and horrible time. And really for the purpose of the reason she's done this and the family has done this is to prevent this from happening to somebody else. This second episode is so important because it really goes into the details surrounding the case. Um, I think there's still a lot of questions out there. And I think that's one of the reasons so many people have come come to listen to this story is they do have questions. And it's almost like the island needs some closure Mm -hmm. on, on what happened. And so this episode... Tanya does such a good job of really, um, you know, putting, filling in the gaps yeah. and, and providing that information that, that perhaps is still lacking in people's minds. Cause people tend to like, if they don't have the information, they're going to, they're going to just make stuff up. Mm-hmm. And we saw, we saw that happened, unfortunately. And th- that doesn't need, need to happen af- anymore. When, when you hear the real facts of the case, um, I think, I think it's going to cause closure for a lot of people and, and allow people to move forward. And most of all, Focus on what's most important, preventative things, to, so so we can learn from Ben's story, and this doesn't happen to somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. That the prevention piece is um, is the reason that Tanya decided to go back into this territory, um, and and we we need to applaud her her courage for doing so because often when people face trauma, the the reaction is repressing it. Yeah, for sure. And, and we know from having spoken to people on the podcast about that. Uh, that it's it's not helpful. It's actually harmful, and and it it's toxic, and it eats away at us until until we do deal with it. So, I, I totally agree with with bringing closure to this and and answering questions that people might have. And we do even get into the whole idea of the conspiracies yeah. and and the rumors. And and Tanya speaks to those and and kind of addresses people um, who might have been bringing a, a negative piece into this complicated puzzle yeah man i was so glad you asked her that actually if you could if you could say one thing to the the people who are basically making up bullshit and and causing making things worse what would you say and she had such a kind response to them and and it just showed that you know she's worked through a lot of that anger because obviously you know a lot of that stuff was actually getting in the way of ben being found Mm -hmm. um but but her response i think is, is worth listening to folks um um she she's she's worked through a lot yeah. And and that really comes comes across in this in this interview for sure. Yeah. So thank you again for being here everyone the the positive um feedback that has been brought from part 1 and and I know it has made a difference for Tanya and and it has made doing this work absolutely worthwhile. So thank you for that. Uh, thanks for being here and um I hope you all get something from part 2. Thanks folks. Five days before he went missing, he tried a THC CBD oil. Mm-hmm. It was prescribed to him to help with sleep, 
But the problem was that was the only appointment that I wasn't able to go to. The only appointment. Literally weeks before we had gone even to a hypnotherapy console. Like we were, we were trying everything. And Ben was just open to trying everything. And although unfortunately the hypnotherapy console didn't lead into any treatment, there was one thing that he said that just resonates with me so strongly to this day. And he said in the consult, I feel like a neutered bull. Mm. I just want my bull nut back. Mm -hmm. And that's how Ben was, you know, Mm -hmm. like fortunately he didn't bring it home very often, but really out in the field, like he was a driver, he was a leader. Nobody was walking on him. And he just felt like, again, Mm -hmm. he, he couldn't have said it more perfectly. He felt like a neutered bull. And in the five days before he went missing, I was on my second last WestJet shift. I was on call in Calgary. And truthfully, it had become respite. I was just squeaking by it. I don't know if somebody had reviewed my hours. I don't know if I would have been upholding my benefits, to be honest, because you have to uphold a certain amount of hours, or you did have to. WestJet's changed their policy to maintain your benefits. And Ben, of course, didn't have any. So I did feel this pressure to continue working as much as I could. And then I was doing my medical report writing and my charting on the road, just not putting any identifiers of my clients in. And I was drowning. I would, I would have to say at this point, I was truthfully drowning because anytime I would come home to work on a file or to chart, Ben just needed to talk. But it was the same catastrophizing, spiraling talk. And that's why I needed someone to just, please, dear God, do cognitive behavioral therapy with him so he can start to just rationalize what's going on and bring his thoughts back to her. It was like he was locked in a prison of his mind, it sounds like. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, do you want to take us to the day that, that he did end up going missing? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe, uh, if you have any, any final memories or, um, or, or what it was like when you kind of discovered for yourself that, that something was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, he had started this THC CBD oil it was the only appointment I couldn't go to because I was on call in Calgary. I know that he would not have mentioned to the doctor, who was coincidentally also a family friend, that he was suffering severely from anxiety because that would have been a pride thing. Yeah. And Ben, we, we had this family friend over for dinner once and Ben did talk to him about the sleeplessness. And again, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I wish that THC had not been in there. I wish. And I do believe that it was a catalyst for the anxiety attack that happened on May 16th certainly wasn't the only one there were many catalysts to a a vicious explosion that happened which was the anxiety attack on may 16th so truthfully i say that my husband did not die by suicide my husband died by an anxiety attack gone horribly wrong because i believe wholeheartedly as do every single one of his clinicians counselors professionals rcmp that this was not planned this was not orchestrated. This was not planned. And so, like I said, many catalysts to that day, including one that I've owned. I left that day. I, I left tragically 10 minutes after radio silence on Ben's phone mm-hmm. for my shift at WestJet in Calgary. And I will always, I don't want to say, uh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to say it. I will always regret it. I will always regret leaving. 
because after that damn shift that was only three days long, like literally a red eye to Halifax and back, I had almost a month off. And Ben had planned to go work for one or with one of his best friends for Sasko Electric. He was going to put the business on hold because we talked about just keeping things simple. He just wanted to go to work, get a paycheck, do what he does as a project manager, come home. And then when we got through this house nightmare, we sold the house finally, we would look at rebuilding. We would get a small little place to call our own. We would try and recover our loss. He would just go get a paycheck and do what he's really good at and not have to do all the other business stuff until he was strong again to do that. So on that day, we woke up uh, really early, but Ben had said that he got six hours of sleep that night. And for Ben, that was like yeah, unheard of. That's huge. So obviously the CBD THC oil was working. And truthfully, he let me in on everything. Like I was part of his every single waking moment, his thoughts, his everything to do with the house, his job, his concerns, his owning the stuff that he doesn't need to own. But I did feel that he retreated and he said to me once, I just, I don't want you to be my counselor anymore. Mm-hmm. And I had said, well, I'm a therapist and this is what I live for. Like, this is my passion. And I realize I'm not your therapist, but if I can get other therapists to do what I feel like you need, like the CB, there's cognitive behavioral therapy that you won't do with me, then like, let me just help you. Let me just be here with you so that I can at least say that we tried everything when I look back. And, but he did, he stopped telling me things. So I found out actually after the fact when I finally got a hold of his phone records, which is a freaking nightmare, um, that one of the people that he reached out to within the last 24 hours was another counselor who mm-hmm. specializes in 24 hour, like emergency anxiety treatment. Mm-hmm. And then, like, it just blew my mind. And then he had a counseling session with the in-house counselor on Tuesday evening, like, later in the afternoon, literally the day before he went missing. And the last phone call he made on May 16th at 10.34 a.m. was to the counselor that he was speaking with over the phone through my WestJet Employee Assistance Program. And this is what breaks my heart. Because... As we look back through life, I mean, hindsight is always twenty twenty, or mm-hmm. it's a vicious bitch slap in the face. Mm-hmm. And the counselor naturally was in session with one of his patients at the time, and he couldn't answer the phone. Yeah, and that's why, I, you know, that that was Ben recognizing that something was ready to implode, that the anxiety attack was coming, and he was desperate to reach out to a last resort. But in that moment, well, A, he was driving. He was driving from Stone Pacific where he had done the key drop because he had done a job for them that morning. And he was just, I think he was just driving to drive. I'll never really know why he was driving in that direction on Lake Couch and Road. But he called the counselor on his way. And again, like, didn't respond to my messages, didn't respond to my phone calls, but I just thought he was still out in Yubu with no service. And the one person that he really trusted, that he really had built rapport with, that said, you call, text, any time of the day or night, couldn't answer the phone, but how can I blame that counselor? And him and I have talked for hours about this too. I was just going to say, like, you can't, but you're human, right? There must have been a part of you that was like, if only. Well, there's a part of me that says if only, but I recognize that 
we navigate through life and you know it's just the same as a traumatic car accident that occurs and we go well if only I had you know spent a little bit more time on my makeup or if only I had said I love you to the person that I love but we're in a fight and you know if we literally live life in fear Mm -hmm. of what we should do just in case like I leave you today and, and something happens that's not living yeah. That's living in fear and paranoia and, and you're not truly living and letting life just naturally unfold. But there's a scary element in that too. And it's just one of those things where we do have to walk the line a little bit with that. And I will forever wish that Ben had just called 911 mm-hmm. because that's what 911 is designed for. It's designed in an emergency and for anyone having an anxiety attack, I've read a lot of stuff online and truthfully, I don't think we give them justice because I've never personally had one myself, but I have studied them. I've researched them. I know what happens in the brain. I know that, again, that whole prefrontal cortex that I've talked about shuts down completely and that's a survival mechanism. And the emotional center of the brain that we call the amygdala takes over and it's fight, fight or freeze. And Ben fought. I envision exactly what happened when we were at Mystic Beach where he started hammering on his head. Whether he bashed his face into the steering wheel, I don't know, but he caused himself a nosebleed. And I know that because I got to look at the pictures finally after we found Ben and I said to the RCMP, I need to see them because I'm going out of my mind with all these speculations about the blood. I was just going to say, because this is what brings us to what most people listening right now will be very familiar with, the running vehicle... Mm-hmm. with the blood all over and mm-hmm. then like you said you insert the stories mm-hmm. right and there was a million stories that came out oh, um, about what had happened as mm-hmm. and we're well we're well aware of yeah. them and i, I think yeah. like i want to have some balance here because i don't want to get into all the speculation mm-hmm. um, but i also want to give credence to the fact that this wasn't a major story that um invited a, a lot of public opinion for better or worse, and a lot of it probably for worse in, mm-hmm. in terms of the impact that it had on, on your family and, and on people close to Ben and, and on yourself. Mm-hmm. So why do you think there might have been so much mystery and uncertainty around the case? <laughs> because even for me, I had no idea what the hell happened. And I lived and breathed this with him. And I I just, to be truthful, and I couldn't be honest about what I thought because if this was foul play and I spoke out about what Ben was suffering around, then anybody who had taken his life could have used that in court. And then, you know, the justice would not be served. So it was the hardest thing for me to do because I literally live with my heart on my sleeve. I have nothing to hide I mean, I would invite anybody into my home any day. I seriously could care less. It's like, you want to know about all my shit, all my flaws, all my everything? Like, I'm an open book. Nothing to hide. But out of respect for the justice system and that the RCMP were willing to disclose certain things, they had to hold back a lot as well. Because again, if I leaked, or my parents leaked, or Ben's parents leaked, about anything that we saw that we would assume could potentially be involved in Ben's disappearance, that would go to the public, and then the public would work that into their theory that was not based on fact. 
And that's where I really admire the RCMP because they're able to get rid of that tunnel vision and focus. I mean, the stuff that they focus on behind the scenes, we will have no idea about until we're in that role. And the way that they build their hierarchy is specifically designed so that, you know, the one highest up will have all the pieces of the puzzle, but the one just below will only have a certain chunk. And it's to prevent this this tunnel vision. And so we had to respect their process. But also we had to understand that if we start putting our own puzzle together, that's just going to ignite all the armchair investigators, all the people who are speculating right now, all the theories. And it was already bad enough as it was. I felt like I was living in a fucking Sopranos episode. Did you? And any... I've never even watched the damn show. <laughs> yeah. Did Did you at any point think that foul play might have been involved? Like that? I know there was speculation out on the outside, but you were on the inside. Did, mm-hmm. did that? Was that a reality for you at all? It became a reality. Uh, I. I'm trying to remember exactly when, whether it was a week after the search began or maybe even just five days. And I remember distinctly just, yeah, being on my knees, actually sobbing in front of my uncle, uh, who's an army, ex-army, but he's now head of anti-terrorism. So he came out to help and interview certain witnesses. Um, There were actually no witnesses that we know of, but people that saw certain things that may be relevant to the case as well as my dad, who's an amazing man, a lawyer out of Alberta, who does human rights. So again, it just seemed fair that they would interview these people on different dates. But that became problematic because, again, we need to rely and trust that the RCMP are going to do their work, and they do it very well because that's their baby, that's their specialty. But because of what we thought to be true in terms of like this white truck that was seen the day before like again I don't want to get into too much speculation because then it's just going to ignite everything again but you know footprints uh, certain suspicious activity that was going on from you know maybe a neighboring property just some things that didn't fit and people that were legitimately trying to help but it just got our minds going in circles, like going crazy. And then there was this very uh, huge rumor, probably the biggest rumor that Ben wired to grow up, which he did on April 6th, which I was fully aware of, but that he didn't get paid. And then he went back and cut the wires after because he was pissed that he didn't get paid. Hmm. Now, the cowboy husband before we had children, before we got married, Totally would have done something like that. Absolutely. You don't fuck with him. <laughs> like you don't not pay the man. But literally, I mean, there's groves everywhere on the island. In fact, I use the, I don't use them because I'm not a doctor, but I support my clients who will not take pharmaceuticals and will only grow their own medicinal grow for the purpose of their healing and pain management. And so it was interesting that day because I was literally educating a client on how to ergonomically cut his plants so they wouldn't exacerbate his back injury. (laughs) And Ben was literally gone for like maybe two, three hours. So, I mean, whatever grow he wired was quite small. And he came back and I remember saying, 
oh, like, how was your job today? And he goes, oh, it's good. And I said, what'd you do? And he said, oh, I wired a girl. And I said, oh. And I didn't want to make him feel guilty about that because he was already feeling enough shame around everything that had happened in our family. So I just said, oh, well, coincidentally, I was just involved in a girl myself. (laughs) 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 Giving ergonomic advice. And, uh, you know, if, if somebody didn't get paid, especially my husband, like he was literally managing almost all of our finances. I would take care of a few bills, but we had everything joint. If we didn't get paid, if my paycheck was late, he was on it. Like literally that hour, he would check our bank statements. Like it was almost like OCD. It was hilarious, like three times a day. So I feel like I would absolutely know if there was an exorbitant amount of stress, if, you know, there was something around this grow up. And, you know, again, like the the police have said, law enforcement say, like, nobody's going to lose their life over grow up. Like really, mm-hmm. really and truly, especially when it's legalized. Mm-hmm. So it just didn't fit. The theory did not fit. But I've come to understand that people, maybe not coming from a bad place, they truly legitimately want to help. But your mind starts going and you start to feel like you're actually living in a movie and you fabricate things based Mm -hmm. on things that you hear and speculation. And then it just grows and grows and grows and it becomes truthfully a place of insanity. Mm -hmm. So while this was going on and all these theories were being presented to me and the, the public connecting the dots in certain ways, I started to feel like I was going out of my effing mind. Because I'm evaluating all of this world that I know nothing about. Like Ben and I have always lived simply. We're good people. Like we don't get involved in that kind of crap. And you know, like that's just always been the way. But the fine Ben Ben Kilmer Facebook page, you know, mm-hmm. thirteen thousand people on there or something like that. That must have just been added to that. Like there must have been so much discussion going on, and 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 that would make it so difficult. You know what the fine Ben Kilmer page was an amazing page and and truthfully we didn't allow the speculation to go on so that was a helpful thing yeah totally helpful like the most incredible love support okay literally a movement of people that Mm. legitimately wanted to help Mm. and but there was another facebook page that was started and i don't want to glorify it in any way so i won't even say the name of it that was based purely on lies speculation maybe that's the one founded by people that have never met my husband, myself, my family. Okay. And have, I don't even know if they live here. Yeah, it was just toxic so, is the best word to describe it. Yeah, and, and I don't want to get into what was said or anything. Um, people, like, it was pretty public. It, mm-hmm. There was a lot of billboards up and people are imaginative and often will see something like that and act as if it's a TV show or, you know, a a murder mystery yeah basically and i think that's what created a lot of that speculation if if you were to say anything that's the the only real question that i had if you were to say anything to the groups of people who were fabricating stuff who were having their way with it um that they probably didn't really realize the effects that it had and there were actual people involved not actors Mm -hmm. what would you say to those people That's a loaded question. That's a loaded question. Mm -hmm. Because there's the inside voice, of course. Yeah. That I've had to put to rest. And there's the process that I've gone through to forgive these people. Because they knew not what they were doing. No idea what they were doing. 
And I actually, in the end, have to feel sorry for them because no person that has had a positive, supportive, healthy upbringing would ever say the things that they said or would ever be a part of a group like that. And so there's been something or many things that have happened in their life that have caused them to act in that way. And because they didn't know me, I mean, I, I, I really and truly, I can't be angry at them. I've, like I said, this has been a journey for me oh, for sure. and one where I've had to come to a place of peace with it and forgiveness because I probably never look at any of them in the face. I hope to one day. I really would love to sit with every single one of them, to be honest, and say, hey, why don't you get to know me? Ask me any questions you want, but do it to my face. Don't hide behind a computer. Don't hide like a coward behind your computer and cast stones. And then when I ask for your support or I ask for your advice, then radio silence, mm, right? Yeah. It's the ultimate definition of a coward. Right. So, but that said, I've looked at myself as well because we're human right and I looked at how things would have been perceived on their end I mean Ben went missing <laughs> this is I don't really believe in coincidences but this is one I still don't quite have my finger on on the same day as two other men mm-hmm. whose lives were taken through homicide in Eculet yeah I remember that story. which was a story that oh god yeah yeah and it just, again, coincidentally, this has all happened in May, which is Mental Health Awareness Month, though that's not messed up. I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know if I'll ever find closure around that, and that's okay. I've, I've come to peace with it. But so already, just by Ben going missing on the same day as these other two men who were, there was speculation for you know them being in dr- involved in drug smuggling. Mm-hmm. And I think there was confirmation on that, but I'm not 100% sure because I mostly live under a rock, to be honest, <laughs> in my happy space. So, but really, I can see why things would have been ignited. I can see why freedom of speech would have exacerbated them wanting to start this group because that was not allowed on our site. We did not allow speculation. We did not allow any comments that were disrespectful because this was a site that was built for me as I was physically searching, which I appreciated, which helped draw people in and get people on board for the search and just really became almost healing for me at the end of an exhausting day after putting my children to bed to really just uninhibited, uninhibitedly, I don't even know if that's a word, but just let my thoughts flow Mm -hmm. around the significance of the day and where the search journey had taken me and, you know, things that I was trying to help my kids through and, and have them be a part of this, but also bring them some element of peace instead of fear and worry as well and protect them at the same time and also get everybody involved for the search for the next day. So it, it was a really wonderful place. And truthfully, I didn't see what was going on on the other site, but what I heard when I finally came out of the search uh, about a month and a half later, the physical search had ended. I had heard that this group was started by someone who was blocked from the Fine Ben Kilmer group. And of course, I'm trying to find out, like, why was this person blocked? Because I just mm-hmm. believe, like, we just should embrace everybody. <laughs> I'm a huge empath, by the way. <laughs> so I was trying to see the other side. I was try as hard as it might be to put myself in someone else's shoes 
as much as humanly possible. And that's where I've come through this journey of, you know, of getting to a place of peace with this other group. So, uh, yeah, I, I really believe that they were a distraction, that they were interfering with the RCMP investigation. In fact, I know this to be true because of all the speculation. And then the RCMP now have to deal with all of these speculative reports and filter through all of it, all the calls, all the theories to get down to the facts. And it just became a freaking nightmare. And so I get on some level that they were coming from a very different place. I get that they wanted to be involved in the search, but they were also armchair investigators sitting behind their computer, thinking that they were qualified to be a member of the RCMP or the investigative team and thinking that they were actually helping when they were hindering the investigation, hindering the search. In fact, the whole reason I stopped the search was because I didn't know who was going to show up. I didn't know if they were just showing up to help or if they were showing up to get information from me. Because like I said, I'm an open book and I have trouble keeping things to myself. And so I would start talking about this white truck that was seen and things that had been disclosed to me. And and then I realized, no, I'm shooting myself in the foot here. And I don't know who's going to show up. And it, it became unsafe. I felt to take my kids to the search site, but that's all they wanted to, to do. And the only place they wanted to be because they wanted to be a part of finding their daddy. And it broke my heart because I had occupational therapy colleagues come and play with them and they had other friends come and they could just play. And truthfully, that's how children heal. And then they could do like maybe the last hour with me and just feel like they were really contributing to finding their daddy. It brought so much meaning to them, Mm -hmm. so much significance to be a part of it. And I had to stop it all because I didn't know which one of these individuals who was coming across as incredibly unsound and so far removed from fact i didn't know who was going to show up and for what purpose looking back do you do you wish you would have shared more information do you think that would have helped i wish i could have dispel some of the oh absolutely conspiracy because that's people don't like mystery right Mm -hmm. so they they often create fantasy Mm -hmm. when, when, when they don't know and then that gives them something to to chomp on or to deal with or to take in mm-hmm. and so like you said you couldn't share yeah. more um, i hated the secrecy piece mm-hmm. i always hate secrecy i think you know anything that's swept under a rug hidden mm-hmm. has to remain secret it, it literally makes my blood boil because i just think what do we have to hide here and i almost got to the point where i thought even if ben, someone did take ben's life like i i i, I think i remember going on the news and just saying like have mercy on our family. Like you are forgiven. Just tell me where my husband is because you go mentally insane when you don't know, when you have no conclusive evidence as to what happened to your loved one. And so, you know, then your mind starts going, right? And so I, I truthfully thought my own theory right from the moment that Ben left the house. And, and sorry, I kind of diverted because we talked about the cuddle in the morning, okay. going to work and all that stuff. But really, we had an amazing connect in the morning. But it was as soon as he got on the phone, 6 a.m. for work, his anxiety went up. Mm-hmm. But again, I thought he was just cycling, right? Because he'd have a good day, which I thought was the day before. There was a lot that I didn't know. I didn't know that he had come back from his or before his counseling session, he was laying on the floor crying. Mm-hmm. My husband never cried. Yeah. 
which I think is a problem in itself. Because we need to let the emotion out. Absolutely. To experience joy. We have to. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't need to be to everybody. It can be to your most significant other. It can be to anybody that's that's going to keep that sacred and hidden between you two or, or, you know, in that trusted space. But I didn't know that. He hid that from me. And he also hid the fact that he told me he was going to the counselor, but I completely forgot after he went missing. So when he... When he went missing, I really thought that he was out in the wilderness surviving. I didn't know when he would come back. But the times that he went to that deep, dark space, which we all do, right? We call it the alter ego, the subconscious, the amygdala, Mm -hmm. wherever you want to call it. It's the same thing. We all go to that space. It's uninhibited. It's kind of like... Yeah, that alter ego that says you should just go out into the wilderness and be by yourself and that's going to be healing even though you're going through all this mental suffering and anguish. It gets you away from all your problems. It gives gives you an escape and that's where Ben talked about going in his deepest, darkest, hardest times. So you didn't think when you first heard Mm -hmm. based on his anguish and his feeling like he's dying and his pain that he could have harmed himself no. like he, that wasn't even on your mind when you first heard he went missing that no well, and so did did the police were they well aware of his condition oh yeah they knew every single last detail so did they think perhaps that he had gone off to perhaps take his own life that would be a question for them but yeah. I'm, I'm i mean i can't imagine that it wouldn't be because as they outlined, they have their mm-hmm. own different theories, but it's all based on the most factual information. Right. And then, you know, there may be certain avenues that take him towards this theory, but again, to prevent developing this tunnel vision, which can be detrimental, obviously, right. in creating a case and in finding someone who's missing, uh, they would they would never... They, they were looking at both sides equally, foul play versus... The potential that he was out in the wilderness, the potential that he was, you know, had gone somewhere else, the potential that he had taken his own life. I think Dave Hasty, which was one of the private investigators that volunteered his time to come out, spoke to that on the news as well. That, you know, doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out there's, I think he said, four options here. So, but I never, and none of Ben's family and friends, anybody who knew Ben, that didn't even cross our mind as mm-hmm. a potential. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've worked in mental health right. for a long time. Okay. And like I said, I've studied the brain since 2000. Yeah. And just because, again, hindsight's always 2020. So you're hearing the story and you're probably like, well, how the hell couldn't you know? But I sat with, I talked to his on-the-phone counselor for, I think, two hours. And I sat with his other counselor for four hours. And I talked to every single practitioner that saw him. And I reviewed clinical notes and nobody, like there were definitely flags. And I'm not going to lie. There was two instances where I asked Ben whether he would, or whether he was considering taking his own life. And one of the times is when he asked about our insurance papers, uh, because we had a life insurance policy for a million dollars. And I, I said to him, why are you asking? Because I always handled the insurance because I worked for insurers as an OT, like victims of car accidents and mm-hmm. veterans affairs and work safe BC and that sort of thing. So I was well-versed in the disability insurance side of, of things and I wanted the best of the best for us, for our family. 
as we carried on this big bill like if anything happened to us like we've got to make sure that the other can at least sell the place or pay the mortgage or whatever and a part of me hates that we ever got it yeah it's a very sore spot for me I hate that we ever got it because I know now that when he was out eight kilometers as the crow flies, so the RCMP, what that means is they don't know if he went directly eight kilometers or if he went up a mountain here and down a mountain there and if he zigzagged, but eight kilometers away deep into the wilderness near the Shemanus River, when he was there, so he fought, he fled, and at the river was finally where he found a place of calm peace the rcmp found a stick that he had whittled and he had his uh, multi-tool with him he always had it everywhere and i could just see him like literally it was like i was there with him when i laid by the river when the rcmp took me Hmm. and they just let me lay there for like an hour and a half and i listened to dave matthews david gray some of the other music that really spoke to me that just made me feel so present with ben And I just felt so much peace and calm and I felt like I would feel the torture and adrenaline and the suffering that he went through to get to that spot. But I could literally just feel his thoughts and hear his thoughts. And it would have been, I know, I can't go back. Like if I thought I was stuck before, I'm damn stuck now. I can't go back. I left my vehicle running, which was not anything Ben would ever do. We saw one preview of him do that in the driver where he came in and forgot that his vehicle was running. It ran out there for two hours before he realized. And he told me, and he's like, you wouldn't believe what I just did. Mm-hmm. And I totally forgot. I got sidetracked and I totally forgot to turn it off. So again, a preview of what I feel happened on that day. There's blood in the vehicle. There was a mark where it was very clear to me that he pulled down the visor and looked at himself in the mirror and I could just see him. Like, who am I? What have I done? I imagine he broke broke his nose at this point. And I could just, again, hear his thoughts. And the two blood spots that were that marked the trail that he took to the Trans-Canada. And then uh, the RCMP figured he crossed the highway, maybe took the power lines into the Hill 60 area. Again, I could, he always did this disgusting thing where he plugged one nostril and like, you know yeah, what do you yeah. call it it's a gross guy thing it's yeah. disgusting why, yeah, why do guys do that oh, <laughs> well, God. sometimes you gotta plug nose well okay fair, fair enough. <laughs> so it's practical nuts. it's efficient <laughs> yeah. gets the yeah. job done it's yeah. Not, yeah it's not glamorous <laughs> no but you do not do it in front of your significant don't other. do it on a first date or <laughs> yeah. any date really actually. or when you get married <laughs> keep sexy alive <laughs> nice to add some humor in <laughs> yeah but uh yeah I envisioned him doing that on either side and mm. those were the two blood gotcha. spots and I imagined him and the RCMP imagined him sitting there because the grass almost looked like a deer maybe had been there. That was one of the theories, but very clearly it had been Ben. And just sat sort of contemplating like, what the hell happened? What did I do? And then flee, right? So there were witnesses that saw him getting something out of the back of his vehicle. He had granola bars with him. He had a survival knife. Um, clearly there was some element of plan in this. And for Ben, he always had a backup, right? And when I spoke to a forensic psychiatrist, because I had to understand all these crazy theories about a world that literally makes no sense to me, uh, the forensic psychiatrist said, I've spoken to a lot of men who have taken their, or tried to take their lives, or and they've said, yeah, like I knew my family would miss me astronomically, but I felt that 
the pain and suffering that I was giving them would be relieved if I just took myself out of the world and that they would get better eventually and move on and be prosperous and happy. And also I talked to another friend who tried to take her life at, at one point and she said, it's crazy. It's like this adrenaline courses through your body and it's like you develop this tunnel vision. And even though you know that there's these people that love you and support you, you feel like you'd be giving them a gift Mm -hmm. if you just leave the world, Mm -hmm. that they will definitely be better off without you. And so it is an incredibly, I used to think it was the most selfish thing that anybody could ever do. In fact, before I even found out it was suicide, I said to the staff sergeant on the case, don't tell me, whatever you do, don't tell me that Ben took his own life because I'm probably the only person in the world that would pray that somebody else did this to him. That was the worst thing I could ever imagine anybody mm. doing because I've seen family members, friends suffer so severely and the guilt that just literally eats away at you and how you evaluate everything that you did and what you missed and what you could have done differently and what Ben's parents and family and friends are still doing to this day. And so I could just, again, see him, feel his thoughts, and he would have whittled that stick And he would have thought about our insurance policy. And he would have thought, yeah, if I, if I, I can't return because they'll probably put me in a mental institute the way I've left the vehicle, finding blood there, my phone, my wallet, everything's gone, left. So if I just take my life, then yeah, my family will get the insurance policy. He wouldn't have known that if you're a missing person, you have to be missing for seven years before you get that life insurance. I didn't know that. And he would have thought if nobody finds me, which he probably thought nobody would have because he was in, you know, he was very remote. It was a hiker, wasn't it? Mm-hmm, definitely. And if nobody finds me, well then, you know, my family won't feel this pain from having found me in this way. They won't ever know Everything will be fine. I'll die the ultimate provider for my family. Mm-hmm. And that was the way Ben thought. Always wanting to be the ultimate provider. And that, for some reason, meant financial stability. That meant, you know, having the big house, having a boat, having a, a cabin, having like, you know, financial assets and securities and all this stuff. And, you know, a few people said to me out of care afterwards, why wouldn't you fight the insurance company on this? Like, cause Ben and I didn't have the policy for two years. And it says that you have to have the policy for two years before, like if someone ever dies by suicide, you can't get the life insurance. And I said, because I would be fighting for blood money. And then I would almost validate what my husband did. Mm. And I refuse to do that. I refuse. Mm. So I was curious about about some of those feelings and you brought up guilt and I just I wonder if if that um that negative emotion if if that ever came up for you or or if that ever sat for you in in your process oh god yeah (laughs) guilt kills and again I think this is really important that you ask this because I've thought on this so much in my own healing 
and I, I will we will always like we're humans right like guilt is a part of our everyday living in fact if you don't have guilt then I believe you're officially diagnosed psychopathic mm-hmm. so literally and I, I tell this to some friends and people that have reached out with severe mental illness like and then also people that are cutting themselves to relieve their pain, the pain of what's going on in their mind. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I've, I've, I've heard some stuff, <laughs> like, let's just put it that way. And I've also had some clients that I've dealt with who are going through some severe mental health issues. And the thing that I can pinpoint the most, and truthfully, the reason I know Ben is no longer here is from guilt. And Guilt serves a very significant purpose in our life. And this is what I've come to realize. It keeps us in check, right? Keeps us from driving like, you know, 150 kilometers an hour down the highway uh, for fear that we're going to get a speeding ticket that we can't afford or what's worse, far worse, cause an accident, right? Mm -hmm. And guilt keeps us out of the prison cells and keeps us out of trouble with the law enforcement Guilt keeps us in check with our children and help, helps us to model what we want to see in them. There's so many things that, that guilt serves, so many ways that it serves. But once you teeter over that invisible line, it becomes toxic and detrimental to not only our well-being, but to our very existence. And that is truthfully what happened to Ben. It was unfounded guilt. Sure, he made mistakes in the build. It was his first homeowner build ever. But they were all fixable and so it cost you know a few extra thousand dollars like in the grand scheme of things it's just money and guilt and shame took his life i was gonna say it's almost like the guilt trend um evolved into shame yeah which shame is like there's something wrong with you mm-hmm. guilt is behavior based right yeah. but the shame is that you're broken there's something wrong with you and if you believe that mm-hmm. which perhaps um, ben did um that's a difficult place to get out of he definitely did yeah and it felt like for his family and i that we were almost on defense right almost like i pictured us uh, for lack of a better description like almost with ping pong rackets just two-handedly trying to like ward off the attacks that were going on in his mind mm. and deflect it back in a positive sense no you're not a failure no you're not weak you're this incredible man you you have given us so much your intentions were good you know and i actually wrote him a prayer a prayer slash letter that i think i shared with you Mm -hmm. uh what was it three four days before he went missing and it was amazing because in that time that i got to go to calgary on my on-call shift it allowed me some respite so that i wasn't on constant defense for ben's way of thinking his destructive thoughts and I just got to put on paper through through a cell phone note, actually, because I think that's more effective. Everything that I truly thought about him, everything that he had given me in my life, the adventure that he had brought to my life, that was all him. And this selfless place that he got to in wanting to build this dream for his family. Hmm. Because truthfully, through all this brokenness, through all the horrible things that happened and the nightmare that the house brought, Ben truly found Christ. Mm. And he truly formed a relationship with him. And I'll never forget the day that I was on my daughter's bunk and he was down with both the kids in the lower bunk. 
and he actually said their nighttime prayer with them and I just I just tears just streamed down my face because I never thought I would see the day and nor did it matter Mm. because to me I love Ben for who he was I loved him for always putting his family first always putting me first and our children and just the selfless tenacious incredible man that he always was and I just thought wow and this man that is my dream man has now come to know Christ like we're going to actually maybe go to church together on occasion. Like, he's going to pray with our children. We're going to do this together. Wow. And that's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us at all the usual places. Obstaclecoursepodcast.com. We're very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast. And speaking of Facebook, we have a great new growing community called the Obstacle Course Community that you can join, dialogue with Andrew and I and your fellow listeners about the previous week's episode and any obstacles you're dealing with. And we do appreciate reviews, whether it's on iTunes, Google, Facebook, whatever. It helps people find the podcast. And it's nothing to do with our fragile eagles. Well, uh, you know, we just like to hear back from great people just like yourselves. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep pushing through those obstacles.